0: so I'm naturally pushing people into the spotlight and giving them shine. Mm -hmm. I love to give people shine. Yeah. Um, Those, those things often help me back out because somewhere, I'll turn a corner and there'll be someone standing there and they'll say something to me that's Mm. like, you know, because I went to your fitness studio I am able to do this or I feel like it's made me a better mom or you know I was able to share this gift because you shared your gift and those are the things That's good. that really rescue me from going too far.
1: This is the 40 Lessons Podcast. Welcome to episode 41. My name is Todd B. Waldo. Thank you so much for checking out 40 Lessons. Brand new season. We are in our second episode. And today, have a conversation with my good friend, Sandy Cauley. She is the owner and founder of Turn Cardio Jam Studio right over there in Scott's Edition here in Richmond. She's a fitness instructor, choreographer, uh, does some work for Dance Trans Richmond. She discovered the program while she was working as a television news producer down there in Birmingham, Alabama. And that's cool. We got an Alabama connection because we have Micah on the last episode. We got Sandy on this one, a little Birmingham connection there. But Her Love for Dance starts in Texas, and you're going to hear a little bit about that, her role as a drummer. She is my drumming partner for Richmond Urban Dance. Shout out to Richmond Urban Dance. She and I, uh, Sandy and I, did the bucket drumming thing for the uh, I Am Hip Hop show. But we had a good time together over at our studio, so I want to take you into that conversation now. After that conversation, want to share with you what is happening later this month. Our event spotlight is for Medical Home Plus. So make sure you stay tuned after this conversation with Sandy so you can hear about the spotlight for this episode, the Uncorked Hope Event for Medical Home Plus. All right, let's get into it. This is 40 Lessons, episode 41 with Sandy Colley. I am at turn over here in Scott's Edition, and next to me is my friend, Sandra. So- not Sandra, <laughs> Sandra. Sandy. Sandy. Hi.
0: Hi, how are you, Todd? I am
1: good. I like how you say my name.
0: With that little high, like, <laughs> Todd. I'm sing-songy.
1: Sing-songy. Um, thank you for carving up some space. We have been talking about doing this little thing for a, over a year. Yeah, you we did. That?
0: Yeah, we've talked about
1: it a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted you to sit on the podcast. I was
0: starting so. to question whether or not it was a real thing. I was like, well, sure, you have a podcast, Todd,
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, Yeah, we went away from the podcast for a while. Mm. I've, I've been doing other things. Mm-hmm. And now it's back. Mm. Brand season, new season. The
0: season got renewed. It got renewed. I decided.
1: <laughs> I decided to renew it and bring it back. Oh, I'm glad you did. Yes. And you're here. Yes. You are, uh, you are my drumming partner.
0: That's right. My
1: bucket drumming partner.
0: Bucket drumming Shout
1: out bucket. to Richmond Urban Dance Woo-hoo. for putting us on the stage. That's right. And uh, that was when, when you and I started to get to know each other. That was one of the most fun facts. Learning that you were on a drum line. Yeah. Straight, up, Straight snare, up snare drum player, mm-hmm. you know, doing all the cross-sticking stuff. Yeah, right. The visuals, as the we visuals call them. The mm-hmm. visuals of, of being a drummer.
0: Yeah, that's a past life of mine. Yes. But I was a drummer. I was a snare drummer and a rudimental drummer, which is different than just banging drums and making beats.
1: What is the difference?
0: Well, there are rudiments <laughs> similar to learning scales. Yes, yes. Yes. So there are, I don't even know how many. Is it 28 rudiments? I can't there's, remember. There's the
1: core that you, you learn mm-hmm. first and you extend out to the more advanced ones. Exactly. And yeah. it's all
0: a pattern of sticking and mm-hmm. accenting and rolling. And you put the combinations of rudiments together and you form, you know, songs yeah. or I guess cadences or mm-hmm. uh, backbeats for a marching band. Yeah. And we, so that's what you really
1: ever, really like, technical. In a band like playing the kit no you know
0: what no that's a lot of coordination and i i feel
1: like (laughs) you're a very coordinated person
0: you know you would think (laughs) i'm also pretty glutzy um truth be told but no no i know i always wanted to be a drummer like a rock star drummer you know but i don't really i i think i would be like really a basic drummer okay like you know those new the newfound drummers in a band where it's like they sit on a box and they tap that that would be me yes because it's like tapping my foot Playing the drum Mm -hmm. and then, you know, obviously adding in the other accoutrements of percussion, like cymbal and whatnot. I feel like that's a lot. Um, I can make beats and I definitely can play rudiments. But I feel like the whole drum kit was a little much. Every time I sat down on one, I sounded like I'd never played in my (laughs) life. Um, So I don't even try. But I can play other percussion instruments. Like Mm. I can play marimba and xylophone and rather well. Yeah, I can play them rather well. Um, I could play timpani and Mm -hmm. I could play, you know, all the other sideline percussion things like cymbals and bass drum and, um, maraca and things like that. You know what I mean? So like any accoutrement that goes with percussion, I can play because I started playing percussion instruments when I was in the seventh grade Mm -hmm. and then did it through my sophomore year of college. So, yeah.
1: Um, so you could be Sheila E. I could be Sheila E. could be Sheila E. Yeah. Yeah. That was like,
0: you know, goals.
1: When you were in seventh grade, where were you? What part of the country?
0: I grew up in a small town. Well, I was in seventh grade in Portland, Texas. Okay. A lot of people don't even know there's a Portland there. No. Um, people. Th- when I say that I'm from Portland, people always thought Maine or Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a Portland, Texas. It's yeah. right outside of a city called Corpus Christi. I've heard of that. Not Corpus Krispy, like right, Rice <laughs> Crispy, <laughs> but as in Body of Christ. Yes, uh, uh, Corpus Christi. Yes. Um, and it is located on the Gulf Coast of South Texas also known as like Padre Island. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was a beach kid. And um, Portland is in a higher part of that region. It's like one of the higher um, elevated areas of of Texas. And, you know, Texas varies. It's like four states in one. Mm -hmm. And so you have the plains and you have the beach and you Mm -hmm. have mountains or hill country. Um, And so it's very vast. And I just happen to be from the like southern, the coastal bend as they Mm -hmm. call it.
1: What is your? When you emerge in the earth, what is your family doing? Mm-hmm. So, what's what's happening with them when you show up?
0: My parents were rather young when I showed up, um, and they were like fresh out of high school, and um, they were, you know, immediately like, "Oh man, we're having a baby! What do we do?" And yeah. my father joined the military; he was in the navy. Mm. He became a navy corpsman, which I believe is like the equivalent of a nurse. I'm not okay. exactly, you know. Um, I don't speak military very well um and so he 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 went away to like you know basic in Orlando and then they immediately were stationed in San Diego this is right about the end of the the Vietnam War
1: Hmm. um
0: and so there was a chance that could happen and I know he was working as a Navy corpsman Mm -hmm. in Oceanside California and San Diego and it it was stationed at Balboa which is like a a Marine Corps base that's right Marine Corps um but they were in the Navy and so and that's what they did um and yeah
1: what was so dad's in the navy Mm -hmm. what's mom doing
0: i'm not sure exactly what she did i know she took a lot of like retailish jobs like Mm -hmm. working in a grocery store but i think at that time she was just like a military wife trying to kind of bang it out yeah you know um like you know i was born on a military base in corpus christi nas corpus christi my brother was born at nas oceanside Mm -hmm. or at oceanside in um in San Diego, so, you know, I think that she was just kind
1: of following along. And just just you and your brother, just the two of you? Yeah, we're
0: three years apart, and so, yeah. So that's kind of the early life. Yeah. yeah. And then my dad gets out of the military, and they decide to go back to Texas, Mm -hmm. where they're both from, because they have family. And really, you know, I'm Hispanic, origin. I I say Mexican-American or Latina. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're Spanish and Mexican and some Native American. And in our culture, like, the family stays together. You know, you're raised by your grandmother, abuelita, and -hmm. your aunts and uncles play a big part in your life. And you know all your cousins. You party with them every Sunday at the barbecue. You know, every Sunday. Um, And your grandparents. Like, everybody's involved in your life. So I think they felt that that was what they needed to do, rather than staying out alone in California, Mm -hmm. that they needed to try something different.
1: That is... So growing up in Jersey and... Being close to folks who either moved from Puerto Rico into um, Northern Jersey, in particular Northern Jersey, not as much South Jersey, um, and just spending time with those families and getting to experience his culture that was similar to mm-hmm. mine. Mm-hmm. That value for for us, it was Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like it was go Every to church, Sunday, and yeah. then you had your aunt's house, and the cousins are there, and it's a meal there, and yeah. then sometimes you have to go back to church because yeah. that's the thing. Um, but seeing this really tight-knit community yeah. over multiple generations was really special.
0: Yeah. it's. I mean, I know all my aunts and uncles. And they come from, you know, they're not huge families, but they're big. You know, my dad's the the middle of five and mm-hmm. my mom's the oldest of eight. So, mm. you know, they're... Like, you, I knew all my cousins. I have one girl cousin that's three days younger than me, and she and I are, like, sisters. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of boy cousins who really, you know, were just playing outside constantly. So they're the ones teaching me to play, you know, football and baseball, how to, how to like, you know... You know, try to throw a football over a power line, you know, like random (laughs) things that get you nowhere except for cool points with your kids. They're like, damn, mom, you're like a really good throw, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I got you. Watch me play horse, you know? Like, those are the skills that you get from growing up with your cousins Mm -hmm. and just doing randomness outside and climbing trees and things like that. Yeah.
1: Do you, do you long to be in that kind of community now? Like, that's a very, that's a very special kind of place to live where you're that connected to people who are. Or a family.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I do have a sincere miss for that for my children, for their sake, right? Like, God, mm-hmm. it's too bad that, like, you know, you can't just go across the street or wait for Sunday and all your cousins are coming yeah. over. I do I do wish for that for them because, you know, we don't have family out here in that regard. Um, and, and really, people are doing it a lot different out here. You know, we are raising children with our friends as
1: opposed to our family out here in Richmond,
0: I think. At least mm-hmm. that's what I'm seeing a lot of. And that's how my children are kind of coming
1: up. Do you create bits of your childhood with them? Like, are there, are you throwing footballs over power lines? Like, are you mm-hmm. doing things that, are like, yeah, I, I kind of did this stuff when I was a kid, and yeah. let me see if I can recreate some of that with my kids? Yeah,
0: I think a little bit. It's a little different. You know, my kids are blown
1: away that I can play Mario Kart. <laughs> you know.
0: Um,
1: do you beat the in Mario Kart? Do you hold back?
0: No, um, I try really hard. I never have won. I think I've won once. Yeah. And they were astonished. <laughs> like They were like, where did you get these Nintendo skills, mother? Um, and, you know, occasionally, they'll see me like kick a soccer ball. I'll mm-hmm. take them out to do stuff like that. Or like, I took them to the batting cages. I think you've seen that video. Yeah. I have it on Instagram. And I took them to the batting cages a couple of times. And they're just like, where did you learn this skill? Like, yeah. how did how do you know how to do this Um, and so I I think you know I have three boys Mm -hmm. I think I was made to be a boy mom I think those those years with the cousins really Mm. set me up for this Mm -hmm. and so I am a little bit more adaptable to what are considered boy things Mm -hmm. Um, and so I surprise them often when they see me do something that's considered a boy thing yeah Um, the drumming thing you know playing in that Richmond urban dance showcase um, they had never seen me do that ever so they're sitting in the audience, and mm-hmm. they're like, holy cow, who is this woman? <laughs> and after the show, they're coming up, and they're like, that's my mama. That's my mama. Did you all <laughs> see my mama? Did you see what she did? You know, I mean, they're blown away that yeah. that I, I still did that, you know. And my youngest said, mom, I'm going to be in band when I'm older because I want to be as good as you. Oh. And I was like, damn, that's, that's right. Good. You know, they had seen me dance for a long time, and they knew I was a journalist, and they had seen – you know some of those achievements, but it's these little things that you forget that you know how to do mm-hmm. that really can impress them and yeah. set a ball in
1: motion for them yeah. when you were small, because mm-hmm. um, you you are a you're a performer mm-hmm. um, was that was that in you for a long time? like were you in the mirror with like a hairbrush? And sing along the stuff. Or remote control, depending on what microphone choice yeah. you wanted. Was that?
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, I was. You know, it sounds silly. Uh, yeah, I was. I my, my aunt, who passed away, or aunt, as we say in Texas, Um, had a tape recorder and there's audio of me and I'm three and I am just in it to win it. And I'm three and it's probably 1970 something, right? You know, I'm not gonna say exactly. (laughs) but Let's just say I'm a 70s baby. Um, And you know, I'm recording myself and I'm enamored with the way I sound. And so the tape is really funny because you know, you can tell I'm little and I'm just in it, you know. But I would often get caught um, so my, my grandparents in their house, they had a very, you know, modest house, but they, it was flanked. It, you know, it's very f- like, um, mid-century modern style mm-hmm. house and it, it was flanked with these tall shrubs and in between the shrubs were, was the, uh, faucet for the outdoor water faucet. Yeah. And I would stand in between the two shrubs, like I was on stage and they were my curtains, and I would hold the water faucet and I would sing into the end of the water faucet in the front yard because, I didn't know if you knew this, but you can hear yourself in the water hose. It has like a slight little echo. There's a slight
1: echo to it. And
0: so I would sit there and sing and my family would come outside and be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I am putting on a show for the neighbors, do you mind? So, I don't yeah. think
1: I've heard hairbrush, <laughs> remote control, <laughs> garden hose. Garden <laughs> hose.
0: Now, of course, the water has to be turned off. But yes, it is. That's right. It is. That's a bad show. That's a bad <laughs> show. That is booing yourself. <laughs> like tomatoes, <laughs> thrown at yourself. You're like, I just well, hosed myself. I just hosed myself. I just hosed myself. But I mean, I did stuff like that. Um, you know, I started taking dance lessons um I didn't do traditional dance I think Mm -hmm. my mother walked me into like two traditional dance classes like and I'm talking ballet like pink tutu yeah and was like I don't know that I want you to do this style Mm. Uh, I didn't care I loved it um but she thought that she wanted me to try ballet folklorico which is a very custom style of his you know Latino dances there I think they're To be accurate, Mexico has state dances, Mm -hmm. like you would have a state flower and a state flag, and they have state dances, and they put them all together. And it's like, ballet folclorico is what it's called, like Mm -hmm. folk dancing, folk ballet. And so I learned that style of dance, which, you know, whenever you think of eating at a Mexican restaurant, right, you think of the mariachis and Mm -hmm. these women with these lavish skirts that have ribbons and ribbons in the hair. That's that style. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I learned to do that really young. I was probably like, four or five hmm. maybe and um and you know it included performances and parades and shows and all kinds of things so I never passed up an opportunity to perform for someone yeah. um you know in kindergarten I'm performing in the Christmas pageant a solo and I ended up in the paper um and I'm performing you know for like I, I was and then we call campfire girls which was kind of like the the equivalent of a Girl Scout sort Mm -hmm. of, or like maybe it's the knockoff of a Girl Scout. And um, one of the badges had to be a performance. And so I was in the garage teaching the girls a dance that I learned from, you know, my own own lessons. And I'm standing in front and I'm moving people around. I'm like, you are not so good. (laughs) You need to go to the back. You need to go to the front. And my mother's just letting me. Like I'm running a rehearsal and I'm probably... I'm probably seven, yeah. eight, and I'm running a rehearsal. And I'm, you know, 15 girls, and I'm moving them around. I'm like, you're really good. You're not so good. You're really good. Yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily know that you're not supposed to tell people they're not so good. Um, but, you know, anytime I could perform, anytime I could kind of do my thing, mm-hmm. I was jumping at it. Young, young, very
1: young. So the seeds of turn mm-hmm. are go all the way back to when you were eight.
0: When I think about it, yeah. You know, because yeah. here at turn, I lead these dance classes. I tell people like, hey, you know, where to stand so mm-hmm. they can see themselves. And I rotate the room so that, you know, everybody has a chance to stand close to the mirror. And it has dawned on me that, you know, I was basically doing this
1: as a child. <laughs> it's it's something how, I don't know, like the things that we do now mm-hmm. are, some of them are taught, mm-hmm. but some of them are just who we are. It is. And we can't help but. Do it, right? I was asked. Someone said, well, "How long have you been playing?" Like, I don't have a memory of my life without music, mm-hmm. playing it, listening to it. I, there's no version of my life where that doesn't exist. Yeah, and I I can't help it. Yeah, you know, if if it's as simple as me tapping on the steering wheel in the car, yeah. or me on stage. I'm always going to try to recreate what I hear or create something new. Yeah. And you're the same. Like, you are a performer, you're a dancer, and you're a teacher, Mm -hmm. right? And that's who you've been your whole life and you still get to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I was, you know, a kid... When MTV was born, mm-hmm. and it was the traditional MTV with videos, right? And I remember having chickenpox and having to lay down on the sofa all day, couldn't go to school. Chicken pox were the worst. It was the worst. You couldn't even move, or you <sighs> it would just be worse. And and watching the MTV Calami- was
1: it Calamine? Calamine. Calamine. That it yeah. was pink. Oh. That pink. It's terrible. It's horrible.
0: But you know, I'm laying there and I'm watching MTV all day, so I'm like burning these videos into my yeah. brain, and it's running the span. It's like everything from like the Clash, Rock the Casbah, to like Madonna, yeah. you know, Cyndi Lauper. It's every which way, and I'm I'm watching this, and so you know, I think there was a part of me that always thought that's achievable, and that's kind of who I think I am. Because I do remember, you know, even in seventh grade, having to do it for PE and mm-hmm. and coming up with an elaborate dance to like Whitney Houston um, and, and and another, you know, like it's always been kind of this background. Yeah, It's weird. It's really weird because it never was like, you know, I'm going to grow up and be a dancer. I'm going to grow up and be a dance instructor. No, I had other aspirations for myself. Mm-hmm. But that has been the consistent theme in the background when yeah. I look at my life. You know, I, I do tell my brother, you know, man, there's some things that like, you know, mom and dad, like you look back at your life and you go, well, maybe that they could have navigated me better here or there, but I cannot thank them enough for putting me in dance and Mm -hmm. feeding that for me because had it not been for all those dance lessons, had it not been for those performances, you know, I don't think this would be my life owning a fitness studio. I would have never navigated to this, or at least I don't know that I could have navigated to this. Yeah um
1: were you so that did feel, right by me by that that feeling of support were you were you kind of set in a, on a path like you're so you have your the artist performing part of you mm-hmm. um you went to college I did was that was that always the plan that you were going to go to college did you grow up with a get a real job <laughs> dancing is fun music <laughs> is fun but you got to get a real job <laughs> yeah and it's not going to be like did you grow up with that kind of idea of who you needed to be and the decision you had to make because you did go to college.
0: Yeah. Not for performance. I did. You know, I I I think that the time that I grew up, the lesson was you need to go to college to get a good job so you don't end up flipping hamburgers for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. That was like a I don't know where that came from. I don't right. know if I don't really think that was mom and dad. I kind of feel like that was just school in general. The mm-hmm. teachers really wanted what was best for every person sitting in the room. And it was like, some of you are not going to achieve that. But we would like that for the m- majority of mm-hmm. you. Um, and so for me, that was kind of what college was about. Um, there were a couple of outside factors. You know, like I said, I'm Hispanic. I'm from a small you know, city in Texas. And college wasn't necessarily a given. It wasn't this like, mm. you know, everybody in the family is going to college. It was like, mija, I hope that, you know, you go to college and you get a good job and mm-hmm. you make good money and, you know, you live out the rest of your life in a very, you know, prosperous way, like yeah. working for the man, maybe. But that's okay. As long as you have a good job and good mm-hmm. benefits. Like that those were the goals. I think, you know, so so there wasn't a lot of emphasis on like get the best grades, go to the best college. It was just like, please go to college. If you hmm. can. If you can, we would really like this for you. Yeah. Um, you know, truth be told, you know, I I didn't have the best relationship with my mother, and I think that also happens a lot in Hispanic families. Well, just mm. in general, right? Girls and their mothers, they don't necessarily get along. And I think for me, I also saw it like as a way to to advance and kind of maybe sort of separate from my mother and mm. and kind of drive into my own direction into my own person. So for me, college was. An, almost an escape or, yeah. or a new, or, and it would give me more tools in the arsenal to be and do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, yeah, and so yeah, I, I think it kind of came around a late emphasis. Also, like I said, it wasn't a given in my family, so in my immediate family, I was the first in my family to go. I don't okay. think my father even finished his bachelor's until like I was already like way out of college. Like mm-hmm. I was already almost 30 yeah. or maybe mid-20s you know my mother n- went and never finished my brother went and and never finished um, hmm. and i had cousins of all my cousins none of them none of them went um or finished and then oh it's, hi it's the ups man it's the ups man hey hi. ups man do you have pictures for me yeah sure Sit them there thank you and i just you say your last name a c a u l e y we're thank keeping you. all this in the episode yeah this is all I'm real not cut that this out. is
1: all real life <laughs>
0: The real world, um, but yeah. Uh, so I think that um, you know that was an achievement. It, it was an achievement to go yeah. to college, and and I and I felt every bit of it. Like you know, I'm doing this for my betterment, from the betterment of my family, mm-hmm. um, and just trying to to carve a new life out.
1: Where'd you go to college?
0: So I went to a small college called Texas A&M Kingsville, um, and originally when I started there, it was called Texas A and I, but at that time when I started college, the A&M and UT systems were buying up a lot of universities. And mm-hmm. then they were rebranding everything. So you had, like, um, Texas A&M, Kingsville. You had Texas A&M at College Station. You had Texas A&M, you know, um, I actually, Corpus Christi. I think mm-hmm. it's AM Corpus Christi now. So you had a lot of locations with the a m brand. It would be like if you thought, like, UVA and, Te- and Virginia Tech did the same thing. Yeah. And, like, you could see you have Virginia Tech at Richmond mm-hmm. or UVA at um, – at Black, not even Blacksburg. It would be like UVA at Radford or something yeah. like that. You yeah. know, so you so the basically there's two streams of this college system, and mm-hmm. they're so big. And I think they did it so that when kids couldn't get into A&M or the University of Texas, they could push them to another one of their universities mm-hmm. and still benefit from a solid education. Yeah. So I went to A&M Kingsville, which is home of the King Ranch. And <laughs> <It's>, I, <laughs> I laugh because. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this. You're driving around these Ford trucks, you see, yeah. and they're the King Ranch Edition. And people don't realize that's a real place. Like, that's the l- one of the largest uh, ranches in North America huh. and in the United States. Yeah. They own pretty much ranch from, like, almost the San Antonio area all the way down to the border. And then they own some land in mm. Florida, too, where they have, like, orchards, I believe, if that's still the case. They raise their own um, type of cattle. Mm-hmm. It's called the Santa Gertrudis. So that they gave a portion, the Claybergs, um, who were the original founders, I think some of the land. I think it's a it's a, it's a a shady story, to be quite honest. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I think, you know, it's all about settlement. It's like, oh, let me take this land from you. Let me take this land from you. And ha, oh, now I have the largest ranch. Um, I think some of it's like that. Yes. I'm not 100% sure. But um, they gave a portion of the land back for the university. So mm-hmm. it's it's a cool story, but, you know, the truth is it's hot and it's dusty and, like, you'd be walking to class and there'd be, like, red ants like the size of your dog and, like, tumbleweed going by and you're like, what in the actual hell is happening here? Um, but, you know, it was a close-knit university. I, yeah. I got to do a lot of things. My major was, um, technically, it was speech with an emphasis in radio television. Okay. And it meant that I was... By the time I was a sophomore, I was already like program director of my radio station. I was already a DJ. Yeah, I was doing some on-air work for television. I was running like audio and running cameras, and so I got a lot of hands-on.
1: Yeah,
0: um, really early. So God bless that decision to yeah. go to school there. But yeah,
1: how was the? Uh, how was the diversity? Like you, you come from this place where you're very connected to who you are and where you come from, which is language and food and your time and all the many, many things. Mm-hmm. Did you hold on to that by the time you get to college?
0: So I have a really, inter- you know, okay, again, like I grew up in the seventies. Um, I'm, I'm Latina and I'm from South Texas. It's, it's, It's white or Hispanic. That's it. If you see a black family, you're like, oh my gosh, you guys are like celebrities. (laughs) We didn't even know. We've heard that there are black families in other parts of the country. We didn't know. We see them
1: on television. Yeah, we see them on the Cosby Show. (laughs) They go to Hillman College.
0: They go to Hillman. That's right. Spellman um, so you know for us that was like a big deal right um, and but I' still the 70s and my family is very concerned with me learning Spanish they do not want me to have mm. a Spanish accent and this is a consistent theme of all my Hispanic friends yeah. we don't we're not really well versed in the language we you know it becomes like a code a secret language so you're really good at listening to it mm-hmm. um, if you studied it in school which I did you get pretty good at reading it mm-hmm. um, and you can speak it like with a proper accent and sound pretty good but it's really limited in how much vocabulary I know or how how intensive a conversation I can get in. I mean, mm-hmm. I can order Mexican food at a restaurant like nobody's business. <laughs> but like you take me to a hospital and it's like, oh, man, yeah. like hospital, you know, <laughs> 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 me duele mi estómago. Like it's very limited, yeah. like what I'm going to be able to communicate with that doctor. Um But anyway, so that was the theme for most of us. And where I grew up in Portland, it was predominantly white. There was a very small Hispanic population. They lived mostly – they were a lot of railroad workers. And Mm -hmm. so they lived in a town called Gregory. And so the two towns combined – to form a high school called Gregory Portland. So I want you to think of Portland, probably like in Ashland, Virginia, where like okay. everybody knows everybody. My dad was a police officer there, everybody knew him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very like small town, Mayberry. We have like four elementaries, they all feed into the same middle school and that feeds into the same high school. Um, and it's not cool to be Hispanic. It is definitely not cool. Um, and so you start to like lose words. Like I, now, Granted, I had, a, I had an abuela, you know? Mm-hmm. I had like a straight up from Mexico abuela who did not speak English. Yeah. So my Spanish vocabulary was good. And I would say things correctly, like it's tortilla enchiladas, you mm-hmm. know? But when I started school in Portland, that was an easy way to be made fun of. So I did mm-hmm. not say things like that. So my name from Sandra Cano became Sandra Cano. And um, I ate tortillas, and so I definitely went into this like non-standard dialect, yeah. um, and I lost everything, you know, except for when I went to Grandma's house. Um, and then I started college, and I'm in Kingsville, Texas, and it's closer to the border, like two hours from the border, mm-hmm. two hours from like South Padre Island, and which is different than Padre Island, so quite different. But anyway, it's it's the border, and or nearly, and um. Actually, let me correct that. So it's not the border. It's two hours from it. But mm-hmm. it's definitely got a Hispanic population. Yeah. There are some um, black students going to school there. There are some Indian students going to school there, like mm-hmm. from India. But it's definitely it's still Hispanic or white. Yeah, And so I start the drum line, because, again, I was in drum right. line. And even though I'm a radio television major, I'm going to be in the marching band. And I get into the drum line. And I'm, I'm the one girl on, playing snare with, mm-hmm. with ten snares. There's nine boys and me. Um, and I remember one of the guys next to me, he said, what's your name? And I said, Sandra. And he said, what's your last name? And I said, Cano. And he goes, Cano. It's not Cano. It's Kano gringa. Like, que te crees? Which means, like, who do you think you are? Your yeah. last name is Kano. It has this accent. And you're saying it like you're white. You're saying Cano. Who do you think you are? And mm. then they would tease. They would be like, are you like a coconut? Are you like brown on the outside and white on the inside? Are you like an Oreo? Are you brown on the outside mm. and white on the inside? And so then it was like the reverse. Yeah. Right? So like we are had shaken it off in high school and, you know, Portland, yeah. trying not to identify with my Hispanic culture. Now I'm in a Hispanic culture area And they're like, we don't tolerate that. Like, you have to know who you are and be proud of who you are and really identify with that. And I'm like at a loss. And I'm just like, who, how do I navigate this? Yeah. Cause, you know, I'm pretty good at being in different groups of people and kind of adapting, but this is blowing my mind. And I'm probably 17. And so I had no idea just this two hour difference from where I grew up mm. was going to make such a difference. And so for me, you know, there's a lot of discrimination conversation, especially being in Richmond. And there's a lot of conversation just about the history. Mine is a little different, but yeah. it happens, you know.
1: Well, the same kind of shift happened for me. So at 18, college was the place that really affirmed me and made my brown skin a good thing. Mm hmm. Because from most of the experience, I was, I was too white for the black kids. I was too black for the white kids and just couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. I get to college and I meet my peers.
0: Right.
1: It's like, oh, we all have the same struggle. We all have the same challenge. And then I got affirmed by my elders and I got my connection to my ancestors. Right. And I was like, oh. Okay. It's making
0: sense now. It's making
1: sense now. Yeah. And so this pride starts to come yeah uh and you're right in Richmond, we have a black and white conversation mm-hmm. um we don't have a black and white and brown conversation very often no um and that's that's unfortunate that we leave out these- growing segments of of our city absolutely uh especially if you start to include the county too uh who who are outside of the you know Richmond as confederacy, Richmond as the uh place of slavery conversation, they have mm-hmm. a whole different story. Within our country,
0: yeah, and I think that you know, especially in Richmond, what I've seen because I've been here since two thousand one, so I've seen a lot of growth, you know, in eighteen years, Um, and especially working for the media, like I've seen both sides of 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 things growing, right, you know, from the inside and the outside. But I, I think that when I first moved here, the conversation about Latinos in this area, Latinos, um, was that a lot of them, you know, worked construction mm-hmm. or cleaned homes or, you know, were on corridors of Horsepen and Glenside or were, you know, on the south side off of Hall Street. And it was like everybody was like an immigrant, like every yeah. every Latino here in Richmond was an immigrant. That was like the thought, the yeah. mindset. And that's not the case at all. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of. I run into a lot of Latinos from a lot of different backgrounds, not just, you know, like mine, South Texas, Mexican American, but like Cuban Americans and Puerto Rican American. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know Colombian transplants or Peruvian transplants. I mean, there's a lot is a lot. The story is very rich in the Latinos working here in Richmond. And a lot of them are just like me, college educated, mm-hmm. young professionals. And that is just not the image that I think most people have. And, you know I, it's like we're blending in. <laughs> we're one of you. You know, and so I like joke around all the time I'm like, you know, there's the brown people, you're forgetting about the brown people. We're yeah. here too. Um the you know, this other segment that you're talking about. And I think um and I think that kind of has changed even for me mm-hmm. of how I see myself and the role that I play in which
1: You're raising these boys in Richmond, mm-hmm. and you're—they have to form their identity, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. they have their dad, and they have you, and they have these two worlds that came together to shape and form them.
0: Yeah.
1: How do you help them have that sensitivity to what they're connected to, their family history? Yeah. But also, they got to live and exist in this world. Mm-hmm. How do How do you try to draw on where you've been to help help teach them?
0: It's a really hard. It's a really hard road to navigate. And even my middle son kind of verbalized it. He's like, you tell us these stories and it's really hard for us to understand what you're talking about because, you know, we don't go to Texas as often as I wish we did. Yeah. Um, it's expensive. <laughs> Going to Texas can be like, you might as well go to Europe. I mean, it's cheaper to go <laughs> to England sometimes. Um, but, you know, they so they feel this disconnect. And, you know, occasionally, like, I'm, I'm very fortunate, you know, I was also in a sorority and you know a couple one of my sorority sisters lives in Fairfax and her mm-hmm. her husband so she her story is just like mine she's from San Antonio grew up not speaking spanish you know we were in college together we both experienced the similar like oh boy like we're in hispanic land and we mm-hmm. are not very hispanic we're the whitest hispanic people you'll ever meet <laughs> um and so You know, she and her husband's Peruvian. We we've been to their house for Easter. We've been there for Mother's Day, and we've been and we've seen the Latino culture. And I think my children embrace it when they're around it. Yeah. Um, But it's still unfamiliar for them. My oldest son, who's sixteen, you know, did tell some people, you know, hey, I'm I'm you know I'm part Mexican or you know I'm part Latino, I'm part Hispanic, and was teased about it, and Mm -hmm. then learned abruptly that like maybe that's like not like how I should necessarily say what my ethnicity is. Yeah. Um, because kids can be tough. I mean, that's like, anything that segments you, anything that puts you in a different group, it's mm-hmm. like easy, like, oh, you're fodder now. Like, we're, we're coming for you, we're gonna tease you hard. Yeah. So, you know, he's had to learn that, which I didn't think he would out here, you mm-hmm. know? He learned that at summer camp. Kids made fun of him because he went outside, and, you know, went out to the lake, and he came back tan, and they came back burned. And he was mm-hmm. like, they were like, why are you so brown? You know, we've been here three days. We got three more days to go. And you're yeah. brown, and we're rubbing aloe vera on ourselves. And he's like, "Well, I'm part, you know, Mexican." And they're like, "Oh, now you're, you know, labeled, yeah. and we're gonna tease you." So, it it's been it's been kind of tough. Yeah, it has been tough. And you know, you don't have the culture around you and enough of a support system of your family mm-hmm. for them to like, ah, you know, mijo, it's okay. This is the way it is. And you don't have that. Yeah. So, you know, there, my kids are mixed. Um, so. They definitely, you know, don't identify as mm-hmm. much Hispanic as they do white, yeah. um, and so it's 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 a struggle. It's a struggle, and then, you know, even teaching them the culture, taking them out to eat, and you know, teaching them the language, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's been tough out here.
1: Raising a brown girl, mm-hmm. um, I know that she will have moments where folks view her as less than who she is Mm -hmm. because of how she looks. Right. That will say, you appear to be female and you are a dark brown person. Now my value for you has gone down. And my hope that is that between me and her mom and all the family around her, that she realizes that they're wrong. Right. But no, my daddy says, and mommy says, and I know, and pop up and Nini and grandma and everybody says, this is who I am. So that, that can't be right. That's not who I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, Getting our kids ready for those moments is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also need peers. So we're struggling trying to figure out. Because I'm fortunate that my child gets to go to school in the county. Not in the city. There's not a lot of black kids in that school. And her, we just did a birthday party. And it was a lot of fun. But all the kids were white. And we're thinking about, like, she needs a girlfriend. Like, she needs another person that mm-hmm. can relate. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like it did for us when we we're on our peers it's like yeah it's me too it's me too you go back into it you go back into the majority yeah but someone who can identify and connect with that experience of oh you've been marginalized too you've been made fun of too for something you cannot control mm-hmm. it's different when you chose to spike your hair do something weird with your hair that's one thing that's kids because say. oh you're you're weird with your hair right you can't control your skin no you can't control your your dialects mm-hmm. who your parents are mm-hmm. um but without that peer group, it's 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 harder. We haven't figured it out.
0: Well, I do think there's going to be some benefit to that. Like I said, you know, I growing up in a predominantly white town, right, mm-hmm. and not seeing a lot of, you know, seeing there were people that looked like me. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that there weren't. Sure. Um, but then coming going to college and like more people look like me, um, and and I think that you know what happens is you learn to adapt to different groups and we all need that. Yeah. We all need that because there are definitely black children that aren't exposed to white children very mm-hmm. often and vice versa. You know, you see that a lot. Like, you'll see like a white child who's never been around anyone who's black and as soon as he, you know, he'll react like, I don't know you. And it's beyond stranger danger. You know that he's mm-hmm. like, I've never seen anyone that looks like you before. Happens to me too when you see a child and they're like blonde and blue eyed and mommy and daddy are blonde and blue eyed and then, mm-hmm. then I walk up with my dark hair and dark eyes "Yo," the kid's like, Yo. You know? Mm-hmm. so i think i think it's good to have a lot of different diversity in all directions yeah. through your life um i am grateful for the experience that happened in college because you know even though it made me uncomfortable at the time mm-hmm. like i was struggling like oh my gosh all of this that i've adapted to and now i've got to like peel these layers off and yeah. go back to my core you know now as an adult i'm so comfortable in who i am mm-hmm. yeah I'm not afraid to tell you. Yeah, I'm Latina. I'm yeah. Hispanic. And it's cool. Yeah. I'm cool with it. I know I don't look like everyone else. I know I don't have the small features. I know I have mm-hmm. very, you know, high cheekbones and I know that, you know, yeah. I don't look like everyone else. I'm okay with that now. Yeah. So it took, you know, it takes a while to navigate to that, but I think that it's good to be exposed to all the yeah. the differences young
1: as you are comfortable in who you are. This mm-hmm. this mix of your your heritage your, your musicianship, your <laughs> performance, your work as a journalist, um, entrepreneur, business owner, um, you are a leader in our city, you're an advocate, we're in Scott's Edition, you're an advocate for this place, yeah. you helped us name the ash, you were a big part of that movement. Um, all that takes a sense of knowing who you are. Like, you can't do that stuff. You can't raise your kids, run this place, do all the many, many things right, without knowing who you are what's still being shaped like there's a lot of parts of you that are super solid and will always be <laughs> But like what's still forming in you like what are you still like yeah i got that but this part like i'm still figuring this other part out
0: oh that's a good question you know um people don't know this about me but i'm sort of an like i'm sort of shy like even though i'm an extrovert yeah i'm a little shy and that's such that's a thing and mm-hmm. um so I get a little anxious being around a lot of people and especially when I'm in a situation for too long where it's mm-hmm. like a big body of people or I have to, to be, put myself out there, Yeah, it gets a little tough. Um, and, and I, I think I have these, these gifts that I've been able to share with people that, like you said, some were intuitive. They're just too, they're part of my fabric. And mm-hmm. some were things I developed from years of journalism. And so I'm, I'm, often the person's like, oh, I can help you or I'll totally do that. And then I get in a situation and I'm like, oh man, you know, like I really know this is for the greater good and yeah. I really want to do this but there's a part of me that needs to like pull back and like yeah. insulate a little bit because I'm feeling like a little anxious about how much I'm giving mm-hmm. and and so I'm starting to see that I'm, I'm working on a little bit of that insulation and kind of being introspective more mm. and not so much like taking for granted the people that are giving me their gifts and the gifts that i'm able to share but like really looking at things from a high level and going mm-hmm. you know you've got some work to do i think that i'm still trying to shape the some of the perceptions that people have of me because I, I do at the end of the day look I look ahead yeah. and think you know when my time comes and i'm put in the ground how will people think mm. of me how will they look back at me yeah. will they think that she did a lot of good things for people. She impacted lives in a positive way. Yeah. She was a good human. I want that to be on the checklist. I want mm-hmm. people those to be at the top. I don't want you know the negative things <laughs> that I think about myself <laughs> to go to the top. You know, so I'm always doing this work to like yeah. hopefully become a better person and not. Um, you know, I ask myself questions all the time. Like, have I taken too much from others? Have I not given back enough? Mm-hmm. Have I? Am I a good mom? Am I caring for these humans and shaping them the way they should be shaped? Yeah. So I'm constantly asking that question. I stop down often, and I'm like, "Where are you right now?" Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's just me, like being, you know, overthinking because I tend to overthink. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the work I'm doing now.
1: Well, I was gonna ask. So there is a balance, I think, between us being. should be i think we should be reflective uh and appropriately Mm self-critical like there's a line Mm -hmm. where that criticism turns to a really destructive place Mm -hmm. and holds you back because now you're too critical and now you're doubting what 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 holds that back like for you what holds back the so you're appropriately critical but you don't take it too far
0: (laughs) yeah You know, I do have moments where I just like, you know, crawl back inside, Mm -hmm. you know, the shell and I'm like, oh, I don't want to give any more, you know. I'm fortunate, I think, that the things that I give to other people, the gifts that I've been able to share and the, you know, uh, so I'm naturally pushing people into the spotlight and giving them shine. Mm -hmm. I love to give people shine. Yeah. Um, those, Those things often help me back out because... Somewhere, some, I'll turn a corner and there'll be someone standing there and they'll say something to me that's mm. like, you know, because I went to your fitness studio, I w- am able to do this. Or I feel like it's made me a better mom. Or, you know, I was able to share this gift because you shared your gift. And those are the things that's good. that really rescue me from going too far, you know, down. Mm-hmm. The whole, like, um, I've been working with this uh, private school in town, this private Catholic school. It's very small. Mm-hmm. And I was having just a pull-up meeting with someone just casually, like, hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to, like, hear more about your story. I want to hear more about stories like yours. And she stopped down and looked me in the eye and was like, we are so thankful for everything you're doing for our small school. Um, you know, everything you've done. In, you know, I've helped them with their social media and their website. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, navigating some, some things that were being not not just neglected but maybe they didn't even realize needed to be punched up Mm -hmm. communications that they had with their parents and she just thanked me and it was a small but sincere and it and I said man I walked away from there and um, I said this is the best part of my day this was the best part of the week this made it all worth it it's not even like you know it was just that that little acknowledgement Mm -hmm. that like it probably pushed me you know, a thousand times into the sky just to to try harder for them because, you know, I I think I, have you ever read the book? Um, I think we've talked about this, how to win friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. I was very late to the game on that book. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the beginning, the first chapter, he talks about how everybody has an innate need to be great and they want their greatness to shine. And some people you want that greatness in a no- notorious way, like the notoriety, mm-hmm. Billy the Kid style. Um, you know, maybe somebody who like, plans, mass destruction, like they're looking for greatness in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who are looking for greatness in a positive way, maybe in a celebrity way, right? Like they're the next J-Lo or they're a Lady Gaga or a -hmm. basketball player or whatever, football player. But I think what I've found is that my greatness is different. It's about being able to share my gifts. It just comes down to this very small rooted thing, connecting people Mm -hmm. as a conduit, um, sharing my knowledge, doing not just saying, not just getting involved in a practice, mm-hmm. you know, like being on a board and then just sitting there. Mm-hmm. But actually saying, you know, if I'm going to ask you to do this, then I'm going to do it too. Yeah. Um, leading when you can lead and following when you should mm-hmm. follow. And I think those are the gifts of greatness for me. Yeah. And, you know, you know, in my 40 lessons, right, <laughs> that I finally learned yeah. that for me it's very simple. It's be a good human, give when you can give, be a villager in more villages, be a really good mom. And try to give thanks where you can. So, you know, it's like, maybe that's biblical even, right?
1: I love being a villager and, be a good villager in other villages. Mm -hmm. I like that. Because,
0: you know, they say it takes a village, right? But, like, there's nothing wrong with you going into other villages and, like, saying, hey, I I belong here, too. Um, And so I feel like that's that's part of the greatness for me. Yeah. You know, and like I said, like at the end of the day, you can't take any of it with you, right? Sure. So you're memorialized by the people who are, you know, if you're going down in the ground, the people standing at the top looking down into your grave are the ones that are going mm. to memorial you and hopefully remember you. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you've left a good impression about who you were and what you were willing to do. Yeah, were you tough or did you have bad moments? Sure. Yeah. But did you do enough good to like, you know, mark that? Yeah. Or push that
1: aside, I should say as you're using your gifts, I I try to, I try to interject hope into all of these conversations, Mm -hmm. either what we hope for us, or even just kind of what we hope for this, this place, this city, um, that we're living in. What as you consider using your gifts and who you are, um, being all the, all the many, many, these many, many aspects of who you are, as you live that out. What, like, what's your hope for this place for Richmond?
0: Um, for Richmond. Yeah. Um, You know, I'd really like to see more of this path that we're on of inclusiveness where we're looking back at our history as a measurement of how far we've come as opposed to a consistent, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like we're on that path. We've already started to change it. Um, I would like for Richmond to grow, but with a lot of thought. Mm -hmm. I think that what we're seeing is a lot of fast growth, you know, a lot of apartment complexes Mm -hmm. popping up, a lot of like businesses opening and leveling things and, you know, rate, you know, they're like basically like raising the land and then putting a new business on it. Mm -hmm. I would like for that growth to continue, but in a really thoughtful way. Mm. Is the infrastructure there? Is the green space there? Is it supportive of the community? Have we made it safe? Have we made it nurturing? Does it include everyone? Mm -hmm. You know, are we adding the right amount of grocery stores in the right places? Um, Are we helping our neighbors? Are we supporting, you know, areas of town that Mm. need support? I, I, I really want to see growth like that. Are we helping the schools, you know, not just the four that are already do really well, but are we looking at the mm. other schools? And some of that isn't just like going into the school and giving that school money. It's really going back into the community and saying, these par- parents may not know how to parent. This neighborhood may not know how to you know, live and we need to teach them again. You know, So I, I would love to see growth like that. And then again, in my own community, the Hispanic community, I'd love to see, you know, uh, you know, I, I had the good fortune because I also volunteered uh, with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and I did a program called Passport to Education. Hmm. And they were like, we want to you know, partner you with children that are in school, and you would be a mentor for them, and you could talk to them about entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and going to college and being a journalist. And like, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> maybe they'll send me to the high school, and I'll partner up with some girls, and I'll tell them about going to college and getting a degree and how I was a journalist. And then I own my own dance studio. And like... <laughs> they sent me (laughs) to an elementary school on the south side that's predominantly hispanic like it looked like south texas i was like whoa Mm. i had no idea that this could even like this even existed but like every kid is brown just like me every kid has a little accent they all speak spanish i'm like damn i didn't even know it's right here in richmond and um and i get there and they're like here's your classroom they're fifth grade boys and you get three of them and i'm like oh this is not exactly what I pictured. <laughs> but you know, it was great. They loved the Dallas Cowboys. They really love soccer. They love Fortnite. Mm-hmm. Um, and they thought I was cool because I could dance and I could do the Fortnite dances. Um, so, you know, again, in my community, I'd love a little bit more of that. Because, like, you know, some of them are first generation Americans. They're not like they literally came over as children. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were born here, but a lot of them, like, you know, parents brought them over mm-hmm. here in Richmond we are seeing that yeah. um that you know this whole conversation that we're having about the border and everything yeah. it's happening right here in richmond um and so you know you go there and i'm talking to them and they, they they are comfortable speaking spanish as their first language i'm comfortable speaking english as my first language we can communicate you know and mm-hmm. I, we basically I, you know the, i remember the first time i read to them in spanish they were like snickering yeah. and i said to them in spanish i was like why are you laughing at me i speak spanish As well as you speak English, Mm. and I'm not laughing at you, and they were like, "Ooh, you right, you right," and so it was like they bought some credibility, you know, and um, and so then we were able to kind of help each other, Um, and they there was some inspiration, but some of the takeaway for them was, you know, um, that if I don't do well in school, my parents will send me back to Mexico, Mm. Um, or if I don't, you know, if I do really well. Maybe I'll be able to get a job in the military or maybe I'll be able to like get a job, you know, working as a policeman. So like the, the, the like the mm. achievement, mm-hmm. you know, like we're talking about, did you always aspire to go to college? Like the aspirations that they have in yeah. the fifth grade are really like just the ceilings kind of low. Yeah. And and I'm thinking, I really feel like there's more work to be done here because the conversation needs to be like, oh, no, baby. Like, we're going to look at who you develop into as yeah. a person. And you may not go to college, but you may go to trade school. Or you may do something, you know, equally fantastic. Um, and, you know, rather than, like, being so limited mm-hmm. into, like, something like that. Um, and I think that just, again, is getting into the family and getting into the culture and saying, here's what we can do. Here's, here are the possibilities. And I'm proof. I'm proof. Yeah. Um, I think we need a little bit more of that. And I think from all cultures, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody could go into a school and have a conversation like that. Look at me. Yeah. I'm not a rare thing. This could be, this could be a consistent yeah. theme in this school. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, that's, it, it, I was shocked I walked into that school and I was like, "Damn, <laughs> I'm back in Corpus Christi, and everybody's brown and everybody speaks Spanish, and yeah. people know what tortillas are here. <laughs> um, and it was awesome, yeah, and every time I went in there to volunteer, it was every Wednesday for like eight weeks, I walked away feeling like I had been given a gift,
1: mm-hmm. and like
0: they might have just you know it felt like they had thrown a bag of money at me, yeah, because it was so like it was so joyful, yeah. And just seeing that they were so happy to see me, little girls would come up and give me a hug and like, oh, you know, Sandy, it's so good to see you. And you're just like, oh my gosh, she's a little girl, she's in the fifth grade, she's looking at me, I look like her, yeah. you know. And so it's that was awesome. You yeah. can't, I mean, you can't buy that feeling. It's yeah. you know. So I think I would like to see some more of that. That again is being a villager in more villages. Yeah. You know, it is far. Like, I, like you, live in the county and have my children attending really great schools in the county where there's diversity, but not a lot of children look like them. There are a few. Mm -hmm. There are a few more Hispanics than there were before when my oldest went through. Um, But, again, very limited, you know. Um, And so then I go into this elementary school, South Richmond, and I'm like, oh wow. This Mm. is stark from where I send my children. Yeah. So keeping that in mind all the time when I talk to my kids and, you know, that this is nothing to be taken for granted. Like, you know, we can make these changes, but we have to be aware that not everything looks like, you know, Mm -hmm. a really beautiful portrait. That's all different, you know.
1: You are a gift to us. Uh, You're a gift to the city. Um, You're a gift to me. I've always appreciated... Uh, from our first Instagram interaction to sitting here. Um, the conversations we shared, stages we've shared. Uh, just have appreciated you and what you do. and you do some really dope things here. Uh, and three years? No, you know How many what? years is it? How many? What was? You just had it was it? An, you had an anniversary. What was? What's the birthday of Turn? How old is Turn? So
0: Turn will be five in what's February. Five? Mm-hmm. Don't they say that's when you finally can say you were a success? Is when that's you hit your five Five years is a big deal. Yeah, you it's know I never deal. thought I was going to own a business. So the fact that I'm hitting year five is yeah. pretty remarkable for me because I thought I was going to work for the man for the rest of my life. Wow. So it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a. I'm like woo. <laughs> Ooh, I did it I hit five hit that goal
1: well, congratulations thank you very much um, thank you for taking a journey through your, some of your life just we just hit a little bit
0: we did we just, just kind of just a
1: little bit mm-hmm. we can't sit here all day I know we got things to do we got, got things to you do you got to get back to your list of things you got UPS packages over here <laughs> <laughs> as you, you got to open I want to see what's in <laughs> it um, this is 40 Lessons I have been talking with Sandy right over here turn in Scott's edition thank you Thank you for jumping on 40 it's, Lessons.
0: It was, it was wonderful. It was fun. It's good to walk down you memory, know, lane. memory lane and, you know, look ahead. That's good. That's right. It was good stuff.
1: Thanks again to Sandy for jumping on the podcast with me. You can learn more about her and what she's doing at TURN, TURN, com. Go to the website. Go check it out. Go take a class. Go hang out with her and uh, sweat it out. Have some fun dance it, and, and keeping yourself healthy. The event spotlight for this episode, uh, we try every episode to highlight some events, some organizations, something that's tied to a really great mission in our community. If you would like your organization or your event to be highlighted here on the podcast, let me know. Send me an email, todd at For this episode, we are highlighting the 2019 Uncork Hope events with Medical Home Plus. I am your host this year. And this great organization is for parents who sometimes feel overwhelmed when faced with their child's diagnosis, especially at certain pivotal times within their journey. Resources are available, but parents sometimes aren't sure how to access them. And this is where Medical Home Plus steps in. They provide resource coordination services for families and professionals alike supporting special children. You can learn more about them, medicalhomeplus.org. You can learn more about the 2019 Uncork Hope event, which is happening at the end of this month, October 25th, over there at the Dewey Gotwell Center. Go check it out. Come hang out with us. I hope whatever you are doing today that you are taking care of yourself, and let's make sure that we are always taking care of each other. This is 40 Lessons. Thank you for listening. We got a new episode for you next week, so come back and check out lessons.